And so we will begin in 1 Timothy 6. We'll actually finish this chapter today. Looked at the first part last week. And now we will look at verses 11 through 21. And you may think, what, what, is, what's, what does generosity have to do with this fighting the good fight? You know, we know that phrase. That's where it comes from. Well, it does. We'll, we'll get there in just a minute. But as we go through Scripture, we want to deal with each verse and section for what it is and not force our way into this or that or say, oh, I just won't deal with these verses today because I just want to deal with these verses. So we'll be looking at 11 through 21. He was at time the rich, one time the richest man in the world. Yet he was not content. He wanted more. And he didn't just want money, but he wanted fame. So what did he do? He became a filmmaker and a star. But he also wanted something else. He wanted pleasure. And so he readily paid for that. He also desired thrills. So he designed, built, and piloted the fastest aircraft in the world. He wanted more power, so he secretly dealt political favors. He was convinced that more would bring him true satisfaction. Has that thought ever gone through your mind? If we're honest, it probably has at one time or another. Unfortunately, history shows otherwise. He ended life emaciated, colorless, Weighing approximately 90 pounds on the former six foot four inch frame. Fingernails in grotesque, inches long corkscrews, rotting black teeth, tumors, innumerable needle marks from his drug addiction. Died naked and paranoid. His name, Howard Hughes. I want you to think about that story today. Not because it's a dramatic story, but about the idea of wanting more. The idea of, uh, we looked last week at uh, covetousness versus contentment. And we learned last week that contentment is the antidote for coveting. I know that sounds simplistic, but it really is true. We learned that the love of money is a root for all evils. And this should not surprise us. You know why this should not surprise the Christian today? Because we are in a battle. Did, did you know we're in a battle? Have you heard of spiritual warfare? Have you heard about the fight, the good fight for faith? It, it, it hits all points of life, and I think it especially hits that contentment, that gimme, that more, that, that kind of thing. So we, we're going to acknowledge today, and we're going to look at the fact that we are in a battle today. Throughout the New Testament, we are challenge to three B words for you. Believe, behave, and battle. Would you agree with that as you read your New Testament? So after believing, which has to come, it does take time to see behaviors change, doesn't it sometimes? And then they line up with Christ's example. But perhaps the most difficult aspect of that command is dealing with battle. We are often not focused on spiritual warfare and the fact that we are drafted into the army of the Lord. Now, this is not a sermon just on spiritual warfare. You can go and study. You've done Bible studies before the last half of Ephesians chapter 6, and you can look at all the weapons that we have, the defensive weapons, the offensive weapon. You can do all that. 
but I just want to remind you of the fact that once you have committed your life to Christ, once God has supernaturally saved you, you have been drafted. Whether you like it or not, isn't that what a draft is? <laughs> You're drafted into God's army, if you will, into serving in the kingdom of God. Now, Paul reminds Timothy, Pastor Timothy, young Pastor Timothy, here in this book of a lot of things, but he, he reminds him here that he was to fight. Isn't that an interesting word? Fight for the faith, just like every person who has been called by God. And when we read these verses, they speak not to just Timothy, not to just the original hearers, but these words, the very breath of God, these words speak to us today. You see, Christians are to pursue God and to wage the good fight for the faith. And if a pastor like Timothy needed to be reminded of this, how much more should us, the flock, need to be reminded of these things? So let me ask you a few questions this morning. Are you fighting the good fight of faith? It's a good question to ask. Are you daily pursuing godliness? Remember last week? Are you growing in your faith? Or have you been distracted by the things of this world? Even to the point maybe where you just love the things of this world. And then maybe a question that would wrap it all up, not talking about our country today, but about us as individual Christians. Are you in need of revival today? You see, we've learned we're to run from covetousness, but we're also to run to the things of God and be generous while doing that, and we'll see that today. So let's look at verse 11 all the way through 21, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now you man of God, that's an important, important title, you think of prophets and things like that. Now you man of God, run from these things. But pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And fight the good fight for the faith. Now notice there it doesn't say for the fact that you are right or it will make you right or look good or whatever or I told you so. It's fight the good fight for what? Faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and have made a good confession confession before many witnesses in the presence of God who gives life to all and before Christ Jesus who gave a good confession before of all people Pontius Pilate I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ has the Lord Jesus Christ appeared again not yet right this applies to us we're to be doing these things, which God will bring about in his own time. Now, let me just stop there for a minute. God will do it in his time. Do you guys understand that? Okay. Don't read the book or the author that tells you when all this stuff is going to happen and exactly how it's going to happen. Don't do that because Scripture <laughs> tells us over and over again, it will be in God's time. And no man... Or a woman or boy and girl will know when that is. But praise God, it's going to happen, right? 
Can we say this today? We're one day closer. Would you agree with that? I'm happy about that. Are you? We're one, I'm not happy being one day older, but I'm happy being one day closer to that happening. And so, so we see this. And then look at the description about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the only one who has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom none of mankind has seen or can see. We can't see this light. To whom be honor and eternal might. Amen. And the book ends there. Oh, no, it doesn't. Let's keep going. Right in context, look at what Paul has in here. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the age to come so that they may take hold of life that is real. That's almost like a PS, a postscript, and then we get a PSS to the end of the book. Here it is, verse 20 and 21. Timothy, in case you're wondering who this is to, Timothy, guard, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding irreverent, empty speech and contradictions from the quote-unquote knowledge that falsely bears that name. Remember last week we looked at false teachers again? It's just all over the place. And by professing it, some people have deviated from the faith. Grace be with all of you. Let's pray. Wow, Lord, we thank you for these amazing verses and for how you speak right into our lives from your word. May we have ears to hear today and eyes to see. May your words speak to us today. God, may we be changed when we leave this place today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we're to fight for faith. That's point number one. Sounds simple, but there's a lot to it. In fact, it, it says you're to run from things. Do you see that? Let's talk about the word run for a minute. It's fuego. It means literally and figuratively to run away, but it means more to that. It means to shun. Do you see a little different thing there? It's not just I'm going to run away, but I'm going to run away with the idea to shun. By analogy, it means to vanish, escape, to flee. It's a very strong word. And in the biblical language, it's in the present tense, which shows us continuous action. It's not that I run one time and I'm good. It's going to happen over and over and over again, and I'm going to continue to do this. So I have two questions as we look at these first verses. Um, run from what? And run to what? That's fair, isn't it? Let's take a look. Here's the context from last week. Paul had just warned Timothy and the church about being corrupted by covetousness. And, and there was a strong warning, if you'll remember, for, for those, those false teachers. Remember, they thought, hey, ministry, I'll get gain from this. There was a strong warning to those who loved money more than they loved God. And in verse 10, we found out that those folks, they fall away from the faith. The scripture says they're pierced with many pains. 
Scripture tells us that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So contrary to the false teachers whose hearts are corrupted by the pursuit of riches, true followers of God will not pursue riches, but will pursue righteousness. So we're running from all that. And he, he just talked about that. We saw that last week. We're running from all of the things. But how about run to what? Well, it, this is packed full with six things that are listed. So we're going to go as quickly as we can through them. You're going to find some of them are going to recollect our study last summer of the fruit of the Spirit. You're going to find how some of these go together. Okay? So my version says we're to pursue these things. Well, what does that word mean? That word is a strong word. It means to run swiftly in order to do something. In order to catch someone or catch something. You ever played tag? Listen, let me tell you about, you know, my, my messed up family, I, I've told you about some of it. But let me just say, uh, one hallmark of my family growing up was competitiveness. Anybody? Don't play me in something where score is kept. I, I do that all the time. People say, why are you so competitive? Because we're keeping score. <laughs> you don't want it to be competitive? Don't keep score. I mean, even a card game or something, if, don't keep score or Lamar may transform into something that you're not used to. Very competitive. I remember we played tag. It took all we could, and we ran in such a way swiftly to catch that person. I'll never forget. We lived one summer in Leadville, Colorado, and we were, I was chasing one of my brothers. And I don't know what happened, but this door shut, and it was one of those glass doors. Why are you saying oh, no? <laughs> I pursued him in such a way that I ran right through it. That was not a good day. Thankfully, mom's a nurse and picked the glass out of me. I think of another time when my, my brother, you know, who passed away in December, he was right below me a few years, and he, uh, I can't even remember what he did, but I pursued him swiftly with the idea of catching him. Why? Because I was going to pummel him, right? My older brothers pummeled me. Kids, this is not a good good way of doing it, and I pummel. Anyway, I pursued him into the master bedroom. Do you know you can't say master bedroom anymore in realty? It's a messed up world we're in. I don't... But anyway, that's what it was, and there was a walk-in closet. And when I opened the closet, there he was with a BB gun. And he let me have it, and it stunned me just long enough that he got away. Are you getting the idea of pursuit? It's not just pursuing someone but it's pursuing something. Now, some of you may be more docile. Some of you may be more chilled and laid back. Praise the Lord. I wish I had grown up that way, but I didn't. So you need to really get the idea of what pursuing is. Perhaps you've never done that. Maybe some of you have as you pr pursued some type of education or some type of employment. Or guys, did any of us pursue that lovely lady? Okay, now we're, getting, now we're getting your attention. Yes. So this is what it is. Six things. Number one, going through them quickly, you know them. They're right there in the scripture, verse 11. 
Righteousness. Well, what's righteousness? It's character. It's conduct of being just, of being upright. It means to do the right thing in relation to both God and people. That's what righteousness is. Now, we need to say something about the way it's used here. This here is not talking about uh, positional righteousness. You know what that is when we're saved. When we, we, we get the righteousness, when we trust Jesus for salvation. The word here is talking about practical righteousness. That means it's that righteousness that we display in our daily living as we seek to obey God. We are to be in hot pursuit of righteousness. In fact, true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ are to be known as people who do the right thing according to God and his standards. Not according to the law that we have. Not according to a touchy-feely viewpoint of our culture. But we're to do the right thing, that's righteousness, on a daily basis based on God's standards. In fact, I think this is one of the big answers to spiritual warfare. Do the right thing. Number two, godliness. Eusebia, it means piety, holiness. It means God-likeness. I like that word better, God-likeness. This word refers to reverence for God, which flows out of the worshiping heart. We're supposed to be pursuing this. When we are pursuing godliness, some things will happen in our life. We will make constant study of his word, we'll endeavor to do his will, and we'll happily serve in his work. Listen, I can tell if someone is pursuing godliness. They're in the word. But they're not in it for head knowledge. They're in it for life change. The word impacts the person pursuing godliness. And they're striving to do the will of God, what God says here, and they are happily serving in his work. Someone pursuing godliness is not going to keep saying no to everything. No, no, no. No, I can't. I'm too busy. No, I don't think I could do that. No, I can't help you with this. No, they're going to serve in the kingdom of God. Number three, faith. We know that one. Pistis or any variation of that word. We've talked about it. It means belief. The word I like is trust. It means trust. Think about that. You have your firstborn child, right? Anybody remember those days? Some of us have to go like this and get the cobwebs out. We remember those days. Do you remember how you were with your firstborn? I tell the funny story about pacifiers. Our firstborn child, if he spit out the pacifier, we threw it away and got a new one. The second born came, we took it, we put it in the dishwasher, we sterilized and gave it back to him. The third, we ran it under the, the, the faucet, and by the time we got to Mac, our number four, we just picked it up off the ground and jammed it back in his mouth. But picture that firstborn and the first time you decided to go on a mommy-daddy date, right? You had to have faith, you had to trust this little baby to someone to take care of them, right? Now, some of you moms, young moms in here, you need to practice faith a little bit. You need to trust that baby to somebody and go do stuff with your husband and, and go and, and experience that. But that, we can all remember that if we've had, had, had kids. We, we know how that works, okay? We're to be pursuing this trust, this faith. We're to be growing in the faith. We're to be trusting in God more and more. We're to be seeking new ways daily in which we can trust God. You see, we can have trust in his power. I'm going to give you a few P words here, five of them. Think about the ways we can trust 
have faith. We can trust his power. We can trust his purposes. We can trust, here's the hard one, his plans for us, not our plans. We can trust his provisions. Do you see how that deals with contentment? And we can trust his promises. Aren't you grateful for those promises? Number four, love. We're to pursue love. This is the word, we know, we've talked about this a lot. It's the word agape. We know it's God's love that's produced in the heart of believer. It's, it's uh, when we're yielded to the Holy Spirit. It's God's love in us. It's that supernatural love that we can only have based on a relationship with God. We're to be growing in our love for God and in our love for others. Number five says pursue endurance. Well, that's cheerful, hopeful patience or perseverance. It's not always fun, but we're to pursue it. This word describes a person who remains under trials, but does it in a God-honoring and Christ-exalting manner. And I've already shared with you how I failed miserably as we were overseas, and we couldn't get back, and I was under a trial, and I did not, I didn't have, I wasn't pursuing endurance very good here, okay? What about you? I shared, you shared now. No, don't share right now. But think about it. We're to be pursuing this patience, this endurance, this perseverance. And I would say to you, stay with it. Keep the faith. Remember, it's the good fight for faith. And finally, number six is gentleness. The word by implication means humility. It means meekness. Although our, our world, our language has turned meekness into a negative, that's a really a positive thing. I think the best way to share what this is about is to look at Jesus. So let, let's uh, commentate on gentleness with Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. The words of Jesus, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. You see it? I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. For your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Gentleness. So in summary, in verse 11 here, we are exhorted, we're commanded to run away from greed, the desire to be rich, the love of money, and we're exhorted to run towards or pursue to run after these six things that we've just mentioned. In essence, to fight the good fight. It's got both. It's got doing this and doing this. It has both of those put together. And I would ask you today, oh, by the way, verse 12, look at the end of verse 12. This struck me. I didn't get this in the study. I missed it. Do you ever miss things in your study? But I got it this morning, and I was going over the scripture again. That little phrase at the end of verse 12, it says, to which you were called, and you've made a good confession before many witnesses. The Lord reminded me, people are watching Guys, people are watching. And so, let me ask you, are you fighting the good fight? Are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? People are watching. If I ask people close to you, or people that work with you, or who know you, what you're pursuing, would they give the answer that you would give to me as they see what you're doing? Well, let's move on. Why fight? So we see in verse 12 this phrase, uh, fight the good fight. So let's talk about it for a minute. That word fight means, it, it's a goal. It means a, con a contest, a conflict, 
contention, a race. It means to strive for the prize. And, and, and the picture of it is the athletic games, when it says fight. You know, Paul loved to use this word, and he loved to talk about athletic things. But it's the idea of contending in an athletic game for the prize, to fight. It's interesting. We get two English words from this word, agony or agonize. Isn't that interesting? So it's strong. Again, another present tense imperative telling us fight means continually, over and over at all times. But what I want to talk about also, it, it says fight the good fight. Kalos is the word. It means it's valuable, virtuous, it's well, it's worthy. I like that. It's worthy. In other words, fight the good fight. It is worthwhile. Does that make sense? We're not to be passive spectators or helpless victims, but we are to be active and conquering victors. Don't be passive. I've been watching March Madness. Some, some of y'all don't even know what that is, do you? But some of you do. The greatest tournament in the now I'm a football guy, but the greatest tournament in the world is this March Madness thing they came up with. And to watch a number 15 seed win, and then again last night, win again. People were not spectating. They were going nuts. The guys on the end of the bench that, you, you know, they played in the regular season, but you know they're not playing for a second in the playoffs, right? They're just sitting there. They were going nuts. And I thought, what would it be like for Christians to be more like that? Instead of passive, that we would be all in like a fan of a number 15 seed beating all these other supposedly great teams. Wow, think about that. To be active, to be conquering. Well, why fight? In verses 13 through 16, we see a bunch of stuff. I think we see five reasons. Uh, why fight the good fight of faith? Number one, you'll see it there. Number one, God has the power to give life to all. Do you see that? It says he gives life to all. That's what the scripture says. God is life. He possesses the very energy and power of life within himself. He created it. He is the creator. Therefore, God has the power to inject, to infuse something amazing in our lives, eternal life into us. There's no greater reason for keeping the commandments of God than to realize that God is all-powerful. He is the giver of all life. And we should fight the good fight of faith. Number two, Jesus has set the example. We see it in verse 13, this crazy reference to Pontius Pilate. Well, let's let Scripture commentate that. The words of Jesus, you might want to jot it down. Jesus has set the example. It's John 18, verses 36 and 37. You'll remember this, John 18, 36 and 37. This is what Jesus said. My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. As it is, my kingdom does not have its origin here. Isn't that interesting? Then Pilate asked, you are a king then? Jesus replied, you say that I am a king. I was born for this. I have come into the world for this. You want to know why Jesus came? Here it is. To testify 
to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. This is what Jesus is saying before Pilate. He gives us the example of how to fight the good fight. Number three, the scripture shows us here that Jesus is coming back. Jesus Christ is to come again and is to be exalted. It's right there in the scripture. He's going to be exalted as King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 14 and 15. And God will do this in his time. And judgment will come. Every one of us must confront Christ. We will be called forth one day to stand face to face with him. We will have to give an account of how well we did and how well we served and how we kept his commandments. Fight the good fight of faith. Number four, Jesus alone has immortality and is transcendent. Now we could do a whole lesson on the transcendence of God. We can't do that today. Because some of y'all want to go to Sunday school. Some of y'all want to go to lunch. I understand all that stuff. But think just about that for a minute. Here he's showing, they're showing his immortality. And this dwelling of unapproachable light and all this, this transcendence. So again, we're going to use scripture to commentate on this principle. And it's Hebrews. Some of you will know right now already. Hebrews chapter 1, the first three verses. We love these verses. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophet at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us, by whom? By his son. Not some other dude, by his son. God has appointed him, this is talking about Jesus, appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. This is Jesus. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Boy, if you could pack a lot into three verses, it's right there, isn't it? Picture Jesus for a minute. And the scripture showing this immortality and this transcendence. He is creator. His word to this moment sustains and holds all things together. And he is at the right hand of God, preparing a place, mediating. Number five, Jesus has seen God's presence. Well, you say it doesn't say that. Well, the opposite. It says none of mankind has seen or can see. So let's just be reminded. Do you remember Exodus 33, verse 20? When God answered and he said this, very simple. Here's what God said. You cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. And you remember the story of Moses and all that went on there. Well, we jump to the New Testament. John chapter 1, verse 18, the words of Jesus, he says this. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, the one who's at the Father's side. He has revealed him. So how do we summarize all this? It's amazing, this fight and what's supposed to happen. Look at the last part of verse 16. Here's the summary. To whom be honor and eternal might. Amen. So be it. God and Jesus deserve honor and power. And you may be saying, I don't know if this sermon is really about generosity. Well, yes, it is. We saw the context leading into this pursuit of things and running from things. And now we get this note, verses 17 through 19. I, I, I termed it this way. While you're in the fight, be generous. While you're fighting the good fight of faith, be generous. 
Instruct those, verse 17, who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Here we see the source of wealth. We should recognize the source of our wealth. It's not because we made a good deal. It's not because we got agitated. Wow, that came out wrong. I almost said agitated. <laughs> educated and became an expert in a field of some kind. It's because God, what the scripture says, richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Secondly, not just the source of wealth, but the goodness of wealth is here as we look at these verses. We're to recognize the goodness of wealth. It was the false teachers. We saw a little of that in chapter four, 6. You could go back to chapter 4 and see some more about it. It's the false teachers who rejected the goodness of created things. There is nothing inherently evil about material blessing. You won't find that there. It doesn't say anything about that. What it does talk about is what we do with it. The third thought here is that God intends us to enjoy the gifts, to enjoy them. End of verse 17. We're to recognize that God intends for his people to enjoy his gifts. There's nothing wrong, hear me church, there's nothing wrong with using and enjoying the material blessing God gives. It's okay. It's when that consumes you that it becomes a problem. When you pursue stuff more than you pursue God. Now, certain things are good and we should enjoy them. Natural gas is a good thing. Friday morning, Lynn goes off to work. It's supposed to be my day off. And she says, I smell gas. So I finally get around to calling the gas company. Man, they are out there in a hurry. They don't mess. By the way, anybody work for the gas company? You got some militaristic people there. They show up and, and they find it's the valve right there where you put the key in. You know, you turn it on and off there to the gas fireplace. All right? I enjoy our gas fireplace. I'm enjoying and experiencing material things when I turn that on and enjoy it. But they didn't mess around. You know what the guy did? He went outside and he saw the gas meter and you know what he did? He took it. Um, it's hard to enjoy those good things that God gives you, natural gas, when there's no gas meter. You no longer have a dryer, a heater, uh, a dishwasher. Well, you do have a dishwasher, but it's not going to work very well. A stove. Remember the kitchen we waited for all this time? A stove, an oven, and most importantly, a water heater. Wow. I didn't realize how much I enjoyed the good things that God gave me. I know a lot of the world doesn't have that hot water, but I like when I turn that thing on and whew, hot water comes out. What about you? Man, all gone. Hmm. You see, God intends us to enjoy these things. Maybe we don't think. I, I hadn't thought about natural gas being uh, because of the wealth that God has given us to have that in our house. We could say what? Electricity, couldn't we? How about the vehicle in which you drove today? Now, we're griping about gas prices, aren't we? But all y'all made it. Somehow you put it in there. I don't love my truck as much as I used to. Okay? I'm just saying I love her hybrid a lot more, I tell you what. So, let's just remember that. I, I'm try, 
Thank you for laugh, laughing because people get so uptight when we talk about these things. But God intends us to enjoy the gifts that he gives us. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the gifts. That's why I say, go Broncos. Have you heard Russell Wilson's coming to the Broncos? Or go Red Sox. We just stole a, a homegrown guy. His last name is Story. He's going to be a shortstop for years for the Red Sox. You, you say, that's silly. It's okay to enjoy these things. Or how about the ability for those of you, some of you, I know some of you, especially some of you ladies, you are experts when it comes to all things Amazon, right? <laughs> I have a daughter-in-law. I don't think she might go to the grocery store occasionally. She, she buys everything through Amazon. I believe in the greater Phoenix metropolitan area, she is the number one recycler of boxes. I mean, just like crazy. Listen, even the book that we might order or whatever, it's a good gift from God, isn't it? Our wealth allows us to purchase even that book we want to read. Or how about this? How many people do not have God's word? They can't afford it. And for us, we have what? 8, 10, 12, for me, 20 on the bookshelf. Bibles. Wow. So we can enjoy those things. I want you to hear that. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, the teacher says this. There is nothing better for man than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I have seen that even this is from God's hand, because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? But here's the problem. You're waiting for this. It's not just that God is the giver, that our wealth is from him. The things we're able to do are from him, and we, he intends us to enjoy it. But here it is. Look at verse 18. There's a condition. Look at verse 18. Instruct them who? The rich. And guys, even if you don't think you're rich, in the world's standards today, we are rich. Okay? Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share. Wow. So we must use wealth to bless others. Have you ever thought that the reason God has given you what you have is to bless others? Have you thought about that? I know some of you have. Some of you are great models and picture this. And I'm not just talking about the spiritual gift of giving. That is one of the spiritual gifts. Those people you can see a mile away that have the spiritual gift of giving. It's like God just keeps giving them more and they just keep giving it away. Wow. But all of us, even if we don't have that spiritual gift, we're, we're to use the wealth that God gives us, whatever it is, to bless others. So recognize the priority of using wealth to bless others. The wealth, According to Scripture, the wealthy are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and this is the hardest one, I think, to be ready to share. An unwillingness to be generous with others in need reveals to what extent idolatry has entered the wealthy person's heart. Remember, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. And then we see in verse 19, we're almost done, true wealth resides in eternity. Well, how do you get that, Lamar? Well, look, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the age to come. That's not now. That's eternity, right? So that they may take hold of life, and that is real. And we read in other parts of, of uh, the Bible how we're to store up treasures in heaven, right? The stuff of this world, like wood, hay, and stuff, is going to burn up. 
right? You're not going to take it with you. So here's just another idea of this. We need to recognize where true wealth resides. True wealth does not reside in our bank account, in our 401k, in our retirement, in our investments, in the stock market, or other things. Disciples of Jesus understand that it is not their possessions that make them happy. And Scripture tells us they, we, are to share now and not wait. The sharing part is not the hard part for me, church. It's to be ready to do it right now. When I got a hole in my wall and no gas meter, et cetera, et cetera. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't matter what kind of situation we're in to be ready to share now. So let's close in this way. Look at verses 20 and 21 and we're done. We're basically to pass on the good news, the gospel that has been given to us. We're to protect it. Look at the charge that's given to Timothy. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. It's the gospel. Avoiding irreverent, empty speech and contradictions from the quote-unquote knowledge that falsely bears the name, that false teacher stuff. And by professing it, some people have deviated from the truth, from the faith, that knowledge, that their ideas. Grace be with all of you. So guard it. All of this is gospel-related. You see that? People are watching. People are watching to see if we're going to fight the good fight of faith. Is there something different about us? I heard this past week. It was Greg Laurie on the radio, I think. or I don't remember. Don't quote me on that. It says, you must become winsome to win some. I'm stealing. I told, I told the pastors I was going to steal that. I didn't realize I was going to steal it this Sunday already. Think about it for a minute. Think about that. It's this gospel. All of it is related to this. Whether we're talking about covetousness or contentment, we're talking about fighting the good fight, we have instructions on what to do with the wealth that God has given us and we're to be generous and be ready. All of these are gospel-related items. And they, according to this end here, they are in stark contrast to those who speak falsely of it. Okay, Lamar, how do I do that? It's time to go. How do I do that? Let me give you another scripture. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 through 6. How can I take this teaching? How can, Lord, how can I appropriate it into my life? 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 through 6. Powerful words. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel... So we speak. Can you see Paul doing that? So we speak, not to please men, but rather God who examines our heart, our hearts. For we never use flattering speech, as you know. I think Paul wasn't a really good speaker, probably. Or we didn't have greedy motives. God is our witness, and we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. That's how we do this. We give God the glory, even for our material possessions. We decide that we are not going to covet and have greedy motives, but we're going to be content. We recognize that we speak and we act 
for God, not for others. Come on, we've all done it. We've acted a certain way because we were scared someone was going to make fun of us or somebody was going to say, oh, you're a fanatic or whatever. And so we hold back. We've done it. But we, we shouldn't do that. We've been approved. And listen, if you're a true follower of Christ, you have been entrusted, as I have, with the gospel. We're to do these things. So I ask you today, how's the fight going? Listen, I've told you I'm competitive. We live in a world of participation trophies. Parents of young children don't send me emails. But I don't like participation trophies. I think the winner ought to get a trophy. I mean, you get, give the losers, they, we get oranges at halftime, right? And little drinks. Remember those days? What are those things called? Capri Suns. We get all those kind of things, right? <laughs> this pursuit is serious. This battle is serious. And we need to run from those things and run to these things. How are we doing? Let's pray. God, we acknowledge today that you're the giver of all good gifts. That We, we just read that Jesus, you, your creator, by your word, things are sustained. All things are held together. And we acknowledge our place. And we are thankful to be followers of Christ. And God, I pray that we will engage, that we will pursue, that we will fight, that we will run swiftly after someone or something. And that will impact our life. Even our material life and the things you've given us. God, I'm so grateful for the generous people that I've seen in my lifetime and how they've modeled for me. God, I'm grateful that just this one church right here on this corner of Albuquerque can give to something far away like Ukrainian refugee relief. God, help us to be generous and be ready now to do whatever it is. So we thank you for that, God. And God, today, uh, my heart has been heavy this week to remember that we're entrusted with the gospel. And today, Lord, I pray for those who have not yet received the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ in their lives. God, they can be as generous as they want to. They can give to as many things as they want to. But if they have not yet dealt with the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are lost and are headed straight to eternity in a place called hell. So God, help us to share. Help us to remember that people are watching. Help us to be winsome, to win some. And for those who are followers, God, may we pursue you in all these things. In Jesus' name I pray.